I'm Luke Simmons. And I'm Seth Trout. Welcome to King Culture. All right, Seth, we are back. And uh, man, this past Sunday, we uh, announced some big stuff at uh, Redemption Gateway. Fairly big, about as big as it could get. Yeah. I, I would think. Yeah, a number of new things there. Um, you know, in case you didn't listen to it, it'd be worth going back and uh, going on YouTube or going to the Redemption Gateway podcast and uh, checking out that full sermon. But we talked about some new service times that are going to start on January 7th. Uh, but we had a big announcement just about the future of our church. Yeah, the shortest way I could say it is that Redemption Church Arizona, which was one church in 10 congregations, is now going to be 10 churches. Yeah. So, uh, a dramatic increase in the number of 501c3s from <laughs> sure. 1 to 10, at least 11, if you count the Surge Network having its own uh, 501 as well. And Redemption Gateway uh, will be known as Redemption Gateway until about January 6th. <laughs> sure. You know, and yep. then as of January 7th, we'll have a new name. Yes, we will. Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm excited about it, and I'm excited to talk about that today um j- just so you know if if all this is like wait what <laughs> then yeah definitely go back and yeah, listen pause, to that sermon stop. Yeah. go to our website on the website there's a number of uh, resources there with more information and frequently asked questions and stuff just to kind of help you understand kind of how we got there and why it happened and and uh, what's going on so yeah if all of this is just catching you totally off guard um you know make sure you go check that out but uh but yeah today we want to talk about um some of the significance of the new name yeah, it is really rooted in a passage and in a history that has been deeply meaningful to me personally. I think one of my favorite texts for a long time, uh, going back to uh, especially my early seminary days, but even before that, when I was a young man thinking about how I wanted to be as an old man, was having memorized Psalm 1 and following, as blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on it he meditates day and night. He is like a tree. Hmm. Yeah. Like a tree. And the, the vision of the generational stability of a tree, of the resilience of a tree, the bigness of a tree, the fruit-bearingness of a tree, the flowering of a tree. There's so much like you can... Well, even in that passage, talking about, you know, its leaf doesn't wither. It planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. It's a a powerful picture for what it looks to be like. And even uh, learning what that text is really about, blessed is the man. You know, some translations say, like, blessed are the ones or blessed are those who. Uh, But the word there is the man, because I think part of it is it's pointing you to the man, the God-man, Jesus Christ, the, mm. the true and faithful man. Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 serve as an introduction to the Psalms. Psalm 1 is all about the truly righteous man. Yeah. Jesus in Psalm 2 is about the man who is king, that, whom the nations rage against. And so you have like the two sides of Christ's humanity, his righteousness and his uh, king kingness yeah. in Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 respectively. And so the Psalm points us to Christ as the ultimate example for us of righteousness and points us to cement as the ultimate king in Psalm 2. And so the picture of that psalm is just uh, truly magnificent and worth memorizing. Yeah, and not only does it point to Jesus, but it points to the life in Jesus, right? Which is that his word abides in you and 
you meditate on it. And I, I love that Hebrew idea of, of meditate, right? We think of uh, Eastern meditation where yeah. you're like emptying your mind. Hebrew meditation is you're, you're filling your mind. It, it, the word has with it the idea of muttering. Like someone that's yeah. kind of talking under their breath. And it's the idea that the word is just so filling and you're muttering on it all, all day. It's like this giant you know, gobstopper that's just in your mouth and just soaking in. And that that's the life of, of a faithful follower of Christ. Yeah, the word is hagah, uh, which is growl or coo or mutter. Yeah. Even there's something like... If you think about, because all these are animal words, you know, like, uh, so the growl of the lion, but it's also like the purr of a cat, that kind of low uh-huh. thing. But you could also think about it like as like mastication of like the cow, just chewing, 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 mm-hmm. chewing. Yeah. You know, it's just, there's something in your mouth, you know, not just because you played baseball and have a dip in, you know. Or, <laughs> sure. Or, or gum, obviously, you know. Right, but, yeah. But there's just something hanging out on yeah. the tip of your tongue all the time. Yeah. And you taste it all the time. And, uh, and, and that's the, the picture of there of meditating on God's word that it's on the tip of our tongue. We taste it all the time. It's, it's shaping our, it's right in front of us. Well, and so anybody around, I mean, who's been on our campus, right. And that's really, again, who this podcast is for is especially for people who are part of Redemption Gateway. If you've been here, you know that there's just a lot of trees on campus, a lot of trees. And, uh, we did that really on purpose and it's kind of wild. I was actually recently looking back. It's been about four years since we moved into this campus and we had some, you know, early on, I think the, the architect had commissioned a photographer to take a bunch of pictures. And, you know, one of them is from across the street, uh, you know, so looking south toward the campus. And at that time, you know, all the little trees that down along Pecos Road are really tiny. And you just see the shininess of the metal. And there's actually this, you know, cool picture where this cyclist is riding by. And, and if you took that same picture today, you could barely see the building because it's just trees and branches and leaves and it's kind of everywhere and then you know all through the campus even as you walk down the corridor in the middle of the campus you know there's this canopy of shade and dappled light and you're kind of immersed in the trees and it's just pretty cool yeah most of them are the desert museums or the the palo verdes the the thornless palo verdes and they grow really big really fast and really heavy (laughs) <laughs> and holy smokes, it is annoying how often they fall down. <laughs> sure, it's a uh, like they. It feels like it rains and the breeze blows, and they're they're top heavy, and uh, they're they're usually more tangled up underneath the surface, mm-hmm. so they hold each other up. But uh, because they're kind of separated on our on our plot, they fall down a bunch. But I remember our first meeting with the landscape architect, and he kind of came to us with this. Risky pitch. Yeah. He's like, That's right. I have a proposal. I, for, I forgot he was kind of nervous about it. He's like, I have a proposal. It's a little expensive. Uh, it's kind of out of the norm. Uh, he, I'm pretty sure he expected us to just be like, nope, no, not doing it. Um, well, for one thing, I mean, most of the time, I think he was used to churches who just, we're just trying to get this building as much square footage as we can. And the outside schmout side, like we don't really care much about that, you know, but we did have a sense of like, we wanted this to be a really beautiful place that felt, you know, native to Arizona, but, but we cared about the outside. Yeah, and so I remember his tree vision having kind of three layers to it. Mm-hmm. One was all the Palo Verdes on the outside that make from the outside looking in the building look like a very local place. Yeah. Like natural, habitat trees 
that are emblematic of the surroundings. They, uh, it kind of contextualizes and naturalizes that the church belongs here. We're not planting all these foreign species yeah. that don't match the desert. Right. But then in the center of our campus, we have all these ash trees, which are greener, richer, more lush. And not as native. Not native, yeah. yeah. Require more watering, uh, and they're deeper, darker plumage. Uh, they they lose their leaves. Yeah. But it's kind of meant to signify that, like, we're properly contextualized, that we're in the world, Palavras on the outside, but not of the world, ash trees in the middle, mm. yeah. and how there's something distinct about us, and it's not just distinct from the outside, but it's actually distinct from the inside. That is our loyalties, our commitment, our are, we're not of this world. We're mm-hmm. from a different place. And so it's, even like the ash trees versus Palo Verdes were meant to symbolize that from the guts out, we're actually really different in the world, but from the outside in, we might look pretty similar as we're meaningfully contextualized and sent to a context, a place, a culture. So that was like layer one, layer two. Mm-hmm. And then layer three, I don't think he expected any pushback on that. Then layer three is like, and then I want to put this one special old tree on the corner of the campus marking the entrance. And he called it an ironwood. He told us about the ironwood tree yeah. that's there right now. And, uh, you know, planting trees isn't cheap per se, but this tree had to go out and be harvested from the middle of the desert somewhere. Yeah. Um, if you just plant an ironwood tree out of nothing, it you won't see anything impressive for hundreds of years possibly, or at least 100 years. Yeah. They're... And so he proposed that we spend a little extra money and go ironwood tree hunting in the middle of the desert, find one, have it specially dug up, specially moved, and placed in the front of our campus. Yeah, and, and the one that's there is 80 years old. and uh, Now it's probably 85, 90 years old. <laughs> that, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, when we got it, it was 80 years old. And it was, at the time, you know, the only, I mean, some of the other trees have caught up in terms of height because of some of that faster growth. But, but yeah, it was, it was big. It was this... St- feature and and for us it felt like this symbolic statement of saying hey we're very self-aware we're a relatively young church in a new part of town um, but we're part of something really old and we're part of something really sturdy and we're part of something um, significant that came before us and that will outlast us and uh, that's why that ironwood tree you know felt like such an important thing to put there and it's funny because as I take people around the campus who've never been here before and they go hey can you show me around that's the first place I always go and I always stop and I always point out that tree and I tell them the story of the ironwood and how it's this, you know, slow growing, sturdy tree, right? It's called ironwood because it's one of the few woods that sinks in water. Um, and we talk about that idea that, you know, even though we're a new church, we want to be deeply rooted in something historic and old and, and we want to be like someone. Yeah, and so often uh, it's churches i find kind of miss the point that like we let go of the wrong ancient things in favor of the wrong new things right you know and you know there's yeah Yeah, i remember one time uh visiting a church in town that i'm not going to name they were part of a mainline denomination and they had this old historic building and they said uh historic church modern message yeah and i was like that is completely the opposite of what I want to be, right? And by church, they meant the building, right? Like, it's this building that's 100 years old, but the message is modern. And I want to go, well, let's flip that around. Like we, And I go, like, we've got a pretty modern building, but I want to have an ancient 
<laughs> message. Yeah, a historic, ancient message. We're not here to update the teachings of Jesus. Right. I had a good friend in high school who became a, a pastor in a mainline denomination, and I remember I was playing volleyball with him one time. He's like, yeah, we're really progressive. And this is when I was at kind of my peak angstiness or fussiness about this stuff. <laughs> yeah. And I said, well, tell me, which of Jesus' teachings do you feel the need to improve on? You know, and <laughs> the conversation didn't go very well after that. <laughs> sure. But that's honestly how I felt and how I still feel about yeah. this kind of idea that we're going to do Christ a favor and update his gospel for the sake of, like, we're always trying to apply it into modern times, but we're never trying to alter it or shift it or uh, abbreviate it or truncate it. And so it's, the, the tree to me has always been a picture of the, the ancientness of the faith in the midst of a bunch of new little sprouts. Yeah. Right. And we're all personally new little sprouts, but the ancientness of it is there. And then he, he shared also other stuff about the ironwood tree that I really liked a ton. Um, one of them, I'm not sure if you like as much as me, but I like <laughs> it a ton. One of the things he said, which to me really captured like our vision for the next generation, yeah. uh, which is about how once the tree dies, it holds its shape for, upwards of hundreds of years, even after it dies. Yeah, this is talking specifically in the desert. Yeah, the the ironwood tree is yeah. because... And by the way, I don't know if we've mentioned this, but the ironwood tree is is only in the Sonoran Desert. Yeah. right. It, there aren't ironwood trees anywhere else in the world. It's, it's explicitly local to here. Absolutely. And so this ironwood tree, because it's a keystone species or a nursery species... Uh, things grow up underneath its shade that otherwise would not have a shot at making it in the summers of Arizona. Yeah. And so... And that's true even after it dies. It literally incubates smaller plants that make it to maturity, whereas otherwise they would have not have made it to maturity. They would have been snuffed out by July. You know, they would have not made it through August. A drought would have come. They would have dried up. Uh, a, a dust storm would have hit, a haboob would have hit, and they've been blown away. Yeah. Uh, that the weaker, smaller species don't make it to maturity. Once they make it to maturity, they're more viable, but there's always that uh, point of infancy in a plant where a plant is most likely to die. And the ironwood tree provides shade and cover and even like attracts moisture in a way that allows smaller, less viable plants to grow up underneath it. And even after the ironwood tree dies, you know, most plants die and they wither pretty immediately or quickly, but because the wood is so hard and so dense and so, uh, it's so drought resistant that it's not even that all that full of water that it provides shade for hundreds of years, uh, long after it's been gone. And so the, the difficult reality for all of us is that institutions never last forever. Right. Well, that's probably the part that I'm not like. I'm not going. Hey, let as we begin calling ourselves Ironwood Church, let's let's our talk about stories. our death. <laughs> yeah, you but, know. but I think that's a picture for us as disciple makers and leaders and mentors and uh, uh, pastors within the church that our time uh, serving the local church will come to an end. Yep. Whether it's uh, you know best case scenario in a long, long, long time, uh, Christ may return before. Ironwood Church sees its last day, uh, but we trust that you know the things that are done for the Lord will certainly last yeah. and last beyond us. And as we seek to provide environments where the next generation can grow up and reach maturity in Christ, that even after we're gone, like after Luke Simmons and Seth Trout are gone, after the entire pastoral staff has turned over, after the directors have all retired, after the elders 
um, have have been dead for a hundred years. Hopefully, we'll, we'll have meaningfully created environments that incubate the formation of people into Christ unto maturity that go way beyond our our wildest dreams or hopes. Mm-hmm. And so we're we're trying to lead the church in such a way that uh, our great great grandkids have a better shot at clinging to Christ. We're not just trying to do the sunflower thing where it grows up really fast and is beautiful for a minute and then it, boom, it's died. Like the slow growing, sturdy hardwood that maintains itself uh, through generations is, is a vision for the next generation and also for how we regard our ministry that I think is important. Well, and that's been part of our heart for a long time. I mean, the, the initiative before you were here, Seth, the initiative to, to build, to buy the land we called Roots. And I remember in that vision video, I talked about the side of my mom's family that goes way back hundreds of years, Scottish Presbyterian pastors, church planners, abolitionists, and how, you know, I often feel like God is answering the prayers of my ancestors, um, you know, in that multi-generational passed down thing, right? And so we called it Roots, a big part to say like, hey, we want to put Roots in this community, and, uh, and, and I remember saying things like, Hey, there aren't many opportunities to invest in something that's going to matter in a hundred years, <laughs> but this does, and this will. And, um, it's interesting now to, to sort of come back to some degree full circle. And so if you haven't put it together yet <laughs> and you didn't hear the announcement and all that stuff, uh, the name that we're shifting to January 7th is going to be Ironwood church and, Iron, um, Ironwood church, yeah. Ironwood dot church. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, we're excited about it. And, um, and, and I, part of, even as I think back on that roots thing, I think this idea of a tree and of something rooted and of something sturdy and of something steady growing, like that, what I love about it, Seth, is like, that's just who we've been. It's not a name that's aspirational. I mean, it is aspirational. Like we hope to continue to be a keystone species in this community. We hope to continue to be something that allows other things around it to flourish. We hope to continue to be something that can weather the frigidness of a desert winter and the excruciating heat of the desert summer. Like we want to be that kind of church, but I, I I feel like, well, we want to be that because that is who we've been. And this name feels like it, it uh, taps into that reality of, of who we've been. Absolutely. And and I think, the second part of Psalm 1 is a bit of a warning to us and even a, an encouragement to us, maybe not a warning, warnings negative, encouragement is positive, is the scriptures are full of these botany metaphors, right? And it's I think part of what Psalm 1 is telling us is you don't get to choose whether you'll be like a plant or not, hmm. but you do get to choose which type of plant you will be like. Hmm. And so the question is not, will I be like a plant or not in this metaphor? So what it says is, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. Uh, so our tree is not planted by streams of water, but it's planted by a really great irrigation system. <laughs> you know, so yeah, probably too great. Probably and too we, great. And we can actually talk about we'll get to uh, that, that yeah. in a minute. Uh, its leaf does not wither, and all that it does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. They're like chaff that the wind drives away. You know, just... Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was uh, scalping my lawn <laughs> yep. to prepare to put down the rye. And I just, the, the lawn is already cut short. And I cut it again. And then I uh, u- use my uh, 
dethatcher, mm-hmm. and then I go over it again, and then I dethatcher, and I go over it again, and I pil- filled up four full gigantic landscape bags full of pure chaff, yeah. which is just like the dusty, dead stuff. And I th- yeah, I mean, what it what it what it probably refers to specifically in this instance is the wheat, right? Like in harvesting wheat, right? You can picture like a long stalk of wheat with seeds at the end. Well, they would beat that. Usually at the top of a hill, there's places I've been in Israel where, you know, it's toward the top of a hill where it would be real windy and they would beat that wheat on the ground and the seeds, which are heavy, would fall off and the chaff, which is light and that kind of grassy, you know, dusty stuff would just blow away, right? It's actually the same word that's used in the story of the prodigal son yeah, where he squandered his money. He, 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 it blew away like chaff. He just wasted it, right? And and that that is what a person who's not rooted in the Word of God is like. Yeah, so I, I filled four full bags of this stuff, and it was really windy that day. And if it wasn't, it would probably have been seven or eight bags of it because the the stuff that just got— I hope you took your allergy medicine that day. I had to Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know if you know this, but Seth is allergic to grass. I'm allergic to most alive things in the grass, <laughs> but Which, grass in particular. Yeah, I, That had to jack you I up, I had man. to do— Allergy eye drops about every 20 minutes, the oh, whole man. process. Pause, shoot stuff up my nose and my eye. It was like basically every orifice I was worried about. Do hard things, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Got to have that green grass to impress the neighbors. I mean, a place for my kids to play. Definitely I had good moves. Yeah, right. But that, that idea of chaff. And so there's this warning to us that if we're not rooted in the scriptures, then we'll be burned off. And yep. that and that gets will be burned off, blown away, and that's a that's a picture that takes us to another metaphor in John fifteen that there's the vine, and vines grow really slow. It's really I don't know if you one of my so my sister in law's father in law owns a vineyard, okay, and it takes like seven to eleven years to get wine making grapes on a vine. Wow! When you, when you plant a new vine, it takes a long time. It's not like you plant a vine and then you get wine next year. It takes 7 to 11 years, and it's probably not really good wine until the vines are like 20-something years old. Mm, wow. Like you get, it's technically wine, but you're not submitting it yeah. for anything, you know. And so, it's the kind of wine I buy at the store. <laughs> yeah, you get two-buck chuck from, yeah. but the, like it takes a while. Like the vineyard metaphor, the vine metaphor, it's very seasonal. The chaff is here for a season and then it's gone. Mm. Uh, vineyards, trees, they endure through seasons and seasons and seasons and get better and better, and the fruit gets better and better, seasons and seasons and seasons. Yeah. And this, in John 15, it says those who don't bear fruit are taken away. Like they're, they're trimmed off, and then they're burned. And so the chaff and the non-bearing fruit, and so it is another picture of, uh, like, we don't get to pick whether we're a plant or not. We get to pick, are we a fruit-yielding plant? Are we a rich-rooted plant? Are we like chaff? Are we like a fruitless vine? Mm. And so I think... Uh, the botany metaphors are are strong here, and I think they invite us into a way of thinking about our own growth as an institution, organization, a church family, and also as individuals, um, that we are to be like a vine, and I am to be like a vine at the same time. Yeah. Well, I, I love the picture of all of it, and um, you know, it's one of the reasons why we're taking a bolder move to to change the name, right? I mean, there, we, we don't have to change the name. No one's making us do it. Like we could stay the name Redemption Gateway. You know, we considered some other names like, uh, I mean, part of what's hard, part of what's hard in naming a church is it's, it's harder than naming a kid. You got to get a URL yeah. and, uh, you know, there's all these other well-known churches that, you know, have the same name. I guess that's kind of like a kid, you know, you don't want to name your kid the same as, you know, all your friends, kids names, but, 
but yeah, it's it's kind of tricky. So we talked about a lot of other stuff, and and this one for for a number of us, especially for you and I, Seth, felt like if we were starting something from scratch, this is what we would do, um, because it feels like this ha- this is a name that's filled with vision and filled with meaning and filled with a picture of who we want to be and who we are. Yeah, and I think that so we had like two other like finalists. Yeah, you had going back to second mile was a top one then we also had like gateway community church Mm -hmm. or gateway bible church like but trying for continuity's sake you keep the word gateway in there or for like historical sake you go second mile and we didn't like second mile because we wanted to communicate uh we're going forward not going backwards yep and we didn't and anyone want to communicate that we're trying to undo the redemption church effect on us and we're nervous about that and then the gateway community church like we liked it because it felt um, more consistent, congruent, con- like uh, yeah. Most uh, people already call it gateway. Yeah, you know, but felt generally safe. That's easy to do. And we're in a meeting. I remember John Crawford was like, "This is an opportunity to go all in on vision, not on continuity." Yeah. Uh, nobody gets excited about continuity. Like when when you're yeah. He said, you know, a year from now, you know, in the next year, Gateway Community Church makes a lot of sense, but in the next decade. Ironwood Church. That's who we are. Like, yeah. and and it's, you know, as we sort of got led in by this landscape architect to plant this church, and went, wow, that actually, this thing we didn't even know about, is this thing that now is this really great picture of who who we want to be. Yeah, it's it's compelling, and it reminds me of, so we we moved into this building about a month before we actually opened up on Sundays. It's like mm-hmm. the staff moved over, right? And I led this exercise. On June 25th, uh, 2019, that is like right before we opened up in here, July yeah. of 2019. And so it was a month before we were preparing to go in this new building. And I just read this book by Eugene Peterson called Answering God, yeah, which is about prayer. Yeah, and I read that on my sabbatical eight years ago. There you go, yeah. And he goes all in on Psalm 1. And I want to read a, a quote from him. Awesome. And so I gave this quote to... Um, some like a lot of our full-time staff and I gave us the assignment to go and stare at the ironwood tree for 30 minutes and journal and write stuff down hmm. that the spirit brings to mind. Okay. And so this is a bit of a record. It's fun that you, uh, that you have a record of this and you remember it. Yeah. The title of this was trees as ministry. That was the title of it. Huh. So, okay. Um, this is going to be a recommendation that if those of you want to do a spiritual discipline to appreciate what, and pray for what we think the Lord's going to do through us, uh, Going, as weather's getting nice. Go sit outside and stare at that island tree for a while and journal and pray. And so here's the quote. Uh, we get ourselves ready to pray by looking at a tree. If the Psalms are here to teach us to pray, it begins by inviting us to look at a tree, specifically a transplanted tree, and seeing ourselves in it. Prayer begins not with what we don't see, but what with, but what with we do see. Prayer begins in the senses, in body, in geography, in botany. The deepest relationship of which we are capable has its origin in the everyday experience of taking a good look at what's in everybody's backyard. We are not launched into the life of prayer by making ourselves more heavenly, but by immersing ourselves in the earthly. We come to the prayer, we come to the prayer book of the Bible to get training in prayer. And the first directive we get is, go and find yourself a tree, 
sit down in front of it, look at it long and thoughtfully. <laughs> yeah. And he, this is his introduction to the whole book on the Psalms, how to pray, answering God. And he's just saying that God gives us metaphors because he's infinite, and so we must access him through metaphors. We, we have to approximate him through these pictures. And part of the reason that there's so much poetry in the Bible is because these metaphors are shape and give us the contours of our spiritual formation. So, so I'm curious, in, in that quote, he specifically talks about a transplanted tree. Yeah. Do you recall why? He argues that the tree in Psalm 1, based on like the Hebrew word, would be a tree that would be non-local to Israel at that time. Huh, interesting. That especially Israel's praying Psalm 1 most likely in a season of exile, and so they should see themselves as having been transplanted. Planted. Hmm. So they're like trees that grew up somewhere and were transplanted somewhere else. Yeah. It was actually this quote that made us rename our membership class to Rooted. Yeah. Because I wanted to look at all the new people come to our church and say, you all are transplanted trees. Hmm. You were inheriting a degree of maturity that you have from somewhere else. Like you're bringing with you baggage. And or, or immaturity. Yeah, and you're bringing with you baggage. Yeah, and sure. You know, when I go traveling, it's funny how we say like, oh, he's got baggage, she's got baggage. And we use that exclusively negatively. Right. But when the airplane loses your baggage, you're pretty mad about it. <laughs> you're like, sure. where's my baggage? And so I think we should think of our baggage as mostly positive, like mm-hmm. stuff we're bringing with us from somewhere else. Now, some of our baggage is negative. We bring our unha- unhealthy, uh, inappropriate, bad theology, reactive selves too. But if we think of ourselves as bringing with us good baggage that's meant to serve and build up the church. And if I view myself as a transplanted tree, one, in the season of transplantation, is when a tree is most vulnerable to disease and death. Hmm. Like, will it take to the soil? You know, like there's like when an organ is transplanted. Yeah. Will the body reject the organ? You know, so there's a vulnerability in that season of transplantation. But there's also like this just need for like extra watering to get into the soil. You know, so however dependent you are on the scriptures, most of the time, be extra dependent on them. Like double it, double your watering schedule uh, while you're getting your roots established in new soil. So we, that's part of how we talk about our rooted class. Uh, was based on this, and so what I what I often and what I ask the staff to meditate on these handful of questions: How do all trees grow? So you think trees need light, they need heat, they need soil, they need water, uh, and then how does the ironwood grow? And this is probably some of what you're going to talk about on the watering schedule thing. But yeah. one of my one of the elders at my old church, a guy named Bob Underwood, owns AAA Landscape. Mm. And I remember we planted a bunch of trees in a local impoverished area as like a, a mission project one time. And uh, we we so I would dig these you know four by four holes. It was me and a bunch of college students. Drop the tree box in there, get the tree box off, and then you'd stake them. And we had made this mistake of putting the stakes in too tight. You know, so you. Mm stake them, and then there's like the rope that connects from the trunk to the two stakes. And we staked them all up real secure and tight. And he said, we got to go through and loosen all of the cords on these stakes. And me, being 19 and have no idea, like, why would you want this tree to be less secure? Why do you want to be less stable? And he said, well, actually, like, if the tree doesn't blow in the wind, if it's not stressed by the environment Mm -hmm. appropriately, yeah its roots won't go deep. Hmm. It needs to be stressed. It needs to sway. It needs to feel on the verge of tipping in order for it to drive its roots deeper. 
And so if you overstake and over and over tighten these things, it's actually going to really inhibit the tree's growth Mm. and its ability to get into the soil. And so even like you think about how do trees grow? Well, they grow with stress. Yeah. They have to be appropriately stressed. They have to go through difficulty. They have to feel the wind and be thirsty. You know, when you're trying to get good fruit on lemon tree, one of the strategies you have to do is cut the water off or diminish the water because then the fruit feels like, oh no, we might be dying. And so then it puts a lot more sweetness into the fruit because like its effort to reproduce mm. becomes more important. Yeah. And so if you overwater trees, the fruit's not as sweet. And so similar with the ironwood tree, you said that you talked to a ironwood expert and he's yeah, like, yeah, know, well, the, the guy that's too comfortable. Yeah, the guy that actually sourced our, our ironwood tree that's out there. I talked to him, you know, in the last month or so saying, Hey, here's this name and tell me more about this tree. And yeah, he, he said very similar thing. I mean, he said, um, you know, he was surprised actually that, that you know, because ironwood trees do when they blossom, they've got um, you know, kind of a purplish, really beautiful flower that comes out. They, they the leaves stay all year round; they don't really fall, but but the the blossoms occasionally come out. And he was a little surprised actually that it hadn't blossomed yet. And he said, "Yeah, it's probably you're probably trying so hard to take care of it because you love that tree so much that you might actually be babying it a little bit," because he said stress is actually what makes it bloom. He said, you know, it's, it's the stress, it's the difficulty. They need to be, you know, put under pressure. And then he said something really interesting. He, he said part of what he loves about the ironwood trees, he said that this was a direct quote that I wrote down. He said, the more war and trouble they go through, the better they look. Mm. And, uh, yeah, I just, I love that as a picture of, um, you know, of us as a collective group, of us individually, you know, that part of the promise of the gospel because of what Christ did is that the more war and trouble we go through, the actually the more mm. we become like Christ and the better we look and the more our character is refined and the more we actually are like Jesus. And and so again I just go like, man, that's a that's a great picture and uh and we gotta figure out some stuff to <laughs> readjust our watering schedule. Yeah, I remember you, you said that and I was like, I'm gonna kick that tree so hard every time I walk past <laughs> yeah. it from now on. Yeah. Make it more beautiful. And you're like, I don't think that's what he meant. <laughs> more environmental stress than uh, yeah, sure. hostile smacking is <laughs> is the idea. But that that's even part of the idea of spiritual disciplines, right? That's why we fast. Yep. That's why we pray. Uh, that's why we serve. Uh, a lot of the times suffering comes upon us and difficulty comes upon us and we must process it with the Lord. But some of the idea of like fasting is like this kind of, you're artificially creating a form of suffering. Mm. Uh, it's called the discipline of abstinence or absence. And I'm going to connect with God in the discomfort, mm. right? Like it's, I'm going to feel uncomfortable and I'm going to connect with God in uncomfortability. Now someone who's, uh, dealing with trauma and or who has dealing with the recent death of a loved one or who is battling cancer, like you don't need to create a spiritual dis- like mm-hmm. your situation is uh, stressing you already and connecting with the Lord and that is is enough. And but especially as you're in seasons of um, undue comfort or, uh, or or prosperity, there's like a benefit in uh, stressing yourself. That's part of the reason why you go to the gym is you're creating artificial stress that's what exercise is yeah is uh you know when jesus was on earth and he was being a carpenter 12 hours a day he didn't think about like what am i doing for uh my 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 physical fitness <laughs> it was like sure you know two thousand years ago life was just naturally more yeah, taxing. a lot of walking <laughs> yeah a lot more yeah. taxing but sure especially if you start a computer eight hours a day like you go to the gym to create artificial stress and so so i think that's part of the picture that's that's captivating to me at least 
Yeah, well, I think maybe this is a good place to begin to wrap up. And I just want to invite those of you who you know you call our church home is to uh, embrace this vision of Psalm 1. Embrace this vision of being uh, someone who meditates on God's word, who delights in it day and night. Uh, that is someone who becomes rooted, right? One of the things I love in there is that it says, you know, in whatever you do, you'll prosper, which I don't think is saying like, you know, just trust God and he'll make you rich. But it's to say, if you're the kind of person who is just dialed in with God, like, then mostly do what you want and it's going to work out. It's going to be okay. And I just want to invite you to become and uh, to continue to pursue being that kind of person and to join us in this process of uh, being Ironwood Church and trying to be a habitat-modifying keystone species in our community that is a blessing to others. I mean, this is just all through the Bible. It's Psalm 1, it's Genesis 12, we're blessed to be a blessing. And, uh, and you know, we'll do that to the degree we're rooted and grounded in Christ. So, uh, yeah. Seth, any other things you want to say? Go look at a tree this week for as long as you can and see the beauty of how God speaks to us in just earthy things. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Um, well, that's it for today. If you have questions about the church or questions about the, the change that's coming in the next few months, uh, be sure to email us, let us know. Um, but, yeah, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on King & Culture. <laughs>